Welcome to Morel Dilemma, an exploration of why some mushrooms are so highly sought, some are so heavily cultivated, and some are so very dangerous. Last week we talked about why mushroom farmers don't grow mushrooms straight from spores like a tomato farmer grows tomatoes from a seed. Instead, mushroom farmers use bundles of hyphae that have already grown and let them sprout into mushrooms. This time, I want to talk about the process that brings us from compost to harvesting mushroom. I wanted to interview a couple of companies from the United States and abroad that actually grow mushrooms. They didn't call me back, so instead, I've asked my wonderful husband... That's me. ...to pretend to be me while I pretend to be an expert. So I've conducted research about this process, um, and so even though I don't do it myself, I am going to do my best. So I guess I'll start off... um, at the end of your last episode, which I did listen to, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> yes, I, uh, you mentioned Spawn. Yes. So aside from a ridiculous 90s comic book character, what exactly is Spawn? You're such a dork. Maybe. I, so Spawn is basically a super pure clonal strain of mycelium. Ooh, fancy. And how does one make that? Well, when someone finds a mushroom in the wild that they want to cultivate, they take a bit of the mycelium out from under it and bring it into a lab. They grow it, take sections, and grow the sections out and raise mushrooms from it over and over to make sure it's healthy and not going to change color uh, and give consistently sized and shaped mushrooms. And once they're sure the mycelium will give rise to the desired mushrooms, they mix the mycelium mass in a big tumbler with some dead grain. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the mycelium grab onto the grains and take hold, so you essentially wind up with mycelium seeds. Those are going to get mixed into compost, and that mixture is called spawn. Ah, so the spawn is just mushroom bits and compost. Yep, the mushrooms can't grow without the compost. So, I know plants like compost. Do mushrooms need compost? Well, so plants are photosynthetic, which means they can take the energy of the sun to turn carbon dioxide from the air into sugars and proteins and other building blocks of life. Uh, Most of a plant's mass actually comes from the air. But like us, mushrooms don't photosynthesize. They need to get their proteins and sugars from somewhere else, and compost is how they get it. So, how do mushroom growers make that compost? (laughs) You just stepped in a pile of compost. Boo. Yeah, it's a very complicated process. uh, And it's got two phases. They are actually called phase one and phase two. How fancy. It's like we're in the future. Uh, Phase one is a lot like urban compost. So, you put food scraps in a pile and microbes digest them. Um, A lot of people think that compost is stinky, but they're actually thinking of covered compost, which is anaerobic, kind of choked off. Aerobic or properly aired compost doesn't smell like anything except dirt. Ah, and the aerobic compost is the kind that mushrooms like? Yeah. Uh, To make sure the industrially sized piles of compost are aerated, most mushroom farms have concrete slabs with holes in them that air can be forced through. There's also a compost turning machine that can rotate the piles and make sure nothing gets trapped on the inside for so long it gets anaerobic and stinky. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, mushroom compost starts out with straw-bedded horse manure. So it starts out stinky. It's Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're all pretty familiar with how smelly horse manure is. Um, the straw, though, helps keep things kind of fluffed and airy, and the manure gives the compost a ton of nitrogen. 
It's one of the reasons it's so stinky. Uh, so normal soil is about 1% to 5% organic matter that plants and fungi can use, and about 5% of the organic matter is nitrogen. So normal soil is about a quarter of a percent nitrogen. Sure. But straw-bedded horse manure is almost 2% nitrogen, almost 10 times as high. Uh, also, the manure is often supplemented with additional nitrogen fertilizer like chicken manure, which is 2% nitrogen, or soybean meal, which is 7% nitrogen. So they have all the nitrogen they could possibly want. Right. But they need things other than nitrogen, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they also need tons of carbon. The straw provides some, and then the organic matter is almost half carbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But cocoa bean hulls and corn cobs are often added to help even out the nitrogen-carbon balance. Um, Generally, the ratio of carbon to nitrogen needs to be less than about 20 to 1. So you just need uh, corn cobs and horse poo, and (laughs) then you're good to go to grow some mushrooms? Uh, Not quite. Uh, So before the mushrooms can grow, the corn cobs and stuff need to be turned into a form the mushrooms can use. And that's where the microbes come in. So each species of bacteria will convert certain larger hunks of organic matter into smaller, more basic building blocks. Those building blocks will ultimately be proteins and carbohydrates and stuff that the mushrooms can use. Some microbes also change the nitrogen that the mushrooms can't use into a form they can use, which is obviously important. Have you ever felt a pile of compost? Uh, no. I can't say that I have. You are a city slicker. Um, (laughs) if you put your hand near a large compost pile, even in the winter, you would find that it would be very warm. Also squishy, but very warm. Uh, just like doing jumping jacks in a closed room warms the room up, when the microbes are working fiercely to convert a lot of organic material, things heat up. Uh, in phase one, the mushroom compost gets up to 155 degrees Fahrenheit. That sounds gross and smelly. (laughs) It's not smelly. Since hot air rises, heat comes off the piles in waves, drawing cool air up from the bottom of the pile, where it's piped in. Cool. Uh, After a few days of composting at this temperature, the pile of compost is a nice chocolate brown, Mm. but I wouldn't eat it. Okay. Uh, It can hold water nicely, and it's 3 to 5% bacteria. Yay. Yay. They're very happy (laughs) in there. Uh, By this time, the pile is also chock full of broken down carbon and nitrogen. In fact, farmers know phase one is done when the compost piles smell strongly of ammonia. Ah, and ammonia is part of fertilizer, right? Yeah, it's it's fertilizer for corn and a lot of plant agriculture, uh, but it actually sucks for mushrooms. Oh. Yeah. Uh, more than 0.1% ammonia in the compost is actually toxic. Oh, to the- that's silly. <laughs> then why do they let the ammonia build up? Well, okay, so the mushrooms are grown in the ammonia-rich compost, because that's just the end of phase one. That's the transition into phase two of composting. Ah, uh, I thought that was pretty much all there was to composting. You put stuff in a heap. And then you let bacteria eat it, and then you're done. Well, most agricultural and garden compost could stop right there, because, like you said, ammonia is awesome for plants. But mushroom compost still has a ways to go yet, in phase two. Oh, what is this mysterious phase two? It's sort of like phase one Mm -hmm. in a fancy building, plus pasteurization. Uh, So they move the piles into specialized buildings that each have separately managed HVAC systems. That's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Um, Some barns may be in use to finish off compost in phase two, while others are in use to grow mushrooms. So they can be used for either thing. Okay, so basically phase two, they move it inside, and they cook it to kill off the microbes. Well, the pasteurization doesn't happen until the very end of phase two. First, the microbes are all given a chance to run totally wild and break down every molecule they can, especially the ammonia, which they turn into proteins the mushroom can use. 
The barns are ventilated to make sure all the happy aerobic microbes get a turn, and the microbes often become so abundant they are visible to the naked eye as white spots on the compost, which is called fire fang. Well, that is a ridiculously metal name for little <laughs> spots of decaying matter in the compost. Um, but uh, wouldn't the fire fang sound like a movie? I know, it's so the cool. fire fang trilogy? <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't the fire fang compete with the mushrooms for nutrients? Oh, so most mushrooms actually love fire fang, and that's because the fire fang's dead by the time the mushrooms come along. Uh, fire fang is a great source of ready-made protein and also fats. Mm. And this is really important because fats actually promote the growth of fruiting bodies. So in addition to helping feed the mushrooms, the fire fang actually makes it easier for mushrooms to grow. All right. So how long before the microbes get cooked? Uh, not too long. As soon as the ammonia has been used up after a couple of days, the piles are ready for pasteurization. This ready compost is put into specialized tunnels with perforated floors, airflow again, and heated up really fast. Uh, the heat actually mostly comes from the microbes again. The compost just isn't being cooled down anymore. Ah, are you telling me that microbes heat themselves up so fast that they die? Yep. That doesn't sound very clever of them. Well, it doesn't happen all at once. Remember how each species of microbes converts a certain set of molecules into a form mushrooms can use? Yes. Well, each species also has a temperature range it works best at. So while all our microbes might have been plugging away during phase one and during phase two so far, they haven't hit their stride yet. Some of them would do better if the pile were a little hotter. But a little hotter kills the ones that are already at their happiest? Exactly. As low-temperature microbes do their thing, they heat the pile up, sliding the temperature into the range in which middle-temperature microbes do best. By the time the pile has become too hot for the low-temperature microbes to survive any longer, the middle-temperature microbes are at peak workout. Mm -hmm. and then by the time the middle-temp microbes are dead, they have run through most of their usable material, and the high-temp microbes have stepped in. So what keeps the pile from heating up too fast and zapping all the microbes at once? The HVAC system. Yeah, it uh, cools the piles down a little bit, making sure that the climate temperature doesn't happen too suddenly, so every microbe gets a chance. Okay. So you said during phase one, compost gets up to 155 degrees. Mm -hmm. How hot does it get during pasteurization? Well, it starts at around 140 degrees in the tunnels, and then over two hours, the temperature rises to about 180. And by that time, all the microbes are dead? Okay, so it's... My sources are kind of vague about um, whether everything in the pile is dead at the end of pasteurization. A lot of them mention good microbes, like good in quotes mm -hmm. microbes, and say that 180 Fahrenheit is the top survivable temperature for the good microbes. Okay. And as far as I can tell, those are the ones that finish the compost off completely. Um, but theoretically, any microbes that could cause the mushrooms problems are gone. So bugs, potential diseases, weed seeds, or any fungal spores that landed in the compost, those are all dead. Like before that. Okay, before got that. it. So at this point, the compost is basically a hot, sterile pile of protein, sugars, and fats. That is the idea. Like a donut. It's delicious. Except for the protein. Oh my god. <laughs> well, there, are, there are maple donuts that have bacon on them. That's true. Bacon donuts. Mm. Could grow some serious mushrooms on one of those. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but the compost is still like pretty hot though oh yeah again like a fresh donut it, just like a fresh donut the hvac systems slowly cool the compost down by about five degrees 
per day. Mm, that's uh, really slow. It is really slow. But the reason is that if there are any surviving good microbes, this lets them eke out the last tiny little bit of material from the pile. Mm. I can't say how many microbes this is relative to our starting amount of 3 to 5% of the compost, but it's a really, really small amount. Okay. So now phase two is done. Mm-hmm. And we finally have our compost. Yes. So we can learn about mushrooms now? Oh, fine. <laughs> Hello. You have reached the voicemail for the podcast Morel Dilemma. I can't talk fungi right now, but if you leave me your name, number, and a brief message, I will get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Hi, Izzy. This is Anshul. Uh, so I, I've been trying to think of something to say about mushrooms. And the problem is, I don't know what mushrooms are, except like sort of funny looking and not plants, apparently. So I thought about what mushrooms have sort of meant to me. And uh, I settled on on Alice in Wonderland, which is a story that has a lot of personal resonance to me. It sort of popped up in different parts of my life. And in a way, you can see Alice in Wonderland as sort of the story of, of Alice's empowerment. At the beginning, she's just miserable. There's these animals that, like, she tries to make friends with them, and they just boss her around, and she eats things that unexpectedly make her grow or shrink, and then she's like, oh, I'm not going to eat things, and then turns out that a fan can also make her grow or shrink. I don't even remember. She's unhappy, and she doesn't have any control, and the to me, the turning point of that is when she discovers this mushroom, which she can bite into one side or the other, and it makes her bigger or smaller. And for the rest of the story, she has pieces of this mushroom that she keeps one in each pocket. So I'm going to take the stance that, that mushrooms are, in some deep sense, a kind of empowerment in that story. The mushroom is the turning point where she goes from being controlled by the world to controlling the world. And it's the beginning of her mastering control of Wonderland. And we are back. We're finally ready to mix our compost with our spawn and get to growing some mushrooms. Cool. So spawning the compost is possibly the cleanest and most carefully performed task on a mushroom farm. But the spawn comes from the lab. Yes. And the compost has just been pasteurized. Mm Mm-hmm. And is presumably in a pretty clean building. Yes. So you're mixing a clean thing with a clean thing in a clean place. (laughs) Yes. So why do they have to be super careful about this? So the compost is full of delicious nutrients that are all ready for the taking by any fungus who happens along. Any fungus, not just the spawn and the Mm -hmm. mushrooms that we're trying to grow. Um, And while the spawn has a good chance of eating it up, if any spores get in, like spores for other mushrooms or for water molds or blights that can affect the mushrooms then those bad things can also eat up the compost. And if they get mixed into the center of the piles, the infection or the competing fungus won't be discovered until it's way too late. Also, mushroom barns are enormous and spores go everywhere. No matter how hard farmers and workers try to keep things clean, there's always the off chance that there is a mold spore somewhere up near the rafters and it could fall down and cause an infection. And if one infection gets in, It could spread to the entire barn, making lots of badges go to waste and requiring the farmer to clean the barn out entirely. Mm. So very expensive and time consuming. Got it. So you toss the spawn and the compost together uh, in what? Some sort of like big old mechanical turning machine? Yep, exactly. Um, And then the mixture is transferred to the growing beds in mushroom barns. And then the mycelia will send out more branches and fill up the compost? That's right. 
Mm-hmm. And the more spawn is used per unit of compost, the faster the compost will be fully colonized and ready to sprout mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Plus, this means that the mycelia will have faster access to the nutrients buried deep in the compost, so the mycelia will be able to put up more mushrooms earlier. I couldn't find relative rates per se, but it's a pretty intuitive rule. More spawn, faster mushrooms. Makes sense. A so motto how, for life. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's always been my motto. <laughs> Sorry. So how long before the mycelia can start popping up mushrooms? So the compost and spawn need to be together for two or three weeks. Call me old-fashioned, but I think that's too fast for a marriage. <sighs> that was terrible. <laughs> Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like with the microbes, when the mycelia are growing fiercely, they will be heating up the place. Yeah, the HVAC systems are going to be working hard during these weeks to keep the temperature at almost exactly 76 degrees Fahrenheit. If the building gets too hot, like 80 degrees Fahrenheit... All the mushrooms could die. Well, that sounds terrible. (laughs) The compost spawn mix also has to be kept moist so the mycelia don't dry out, and the air has to stay humid. Sounds a bit like a cave. Pretty much. Or my room. That's my room, too. Have you found (laughs) mushrooms? (laughs) No comment. Uh, Okay. But, well, (laughs) mushroom barns are essentially big caves, but with multiple floors. Multiple floors? Yeah, each barn is laid out like an open floor warehouse with uh, big scaffolds holding several layers of spawned compost in trays. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like multiple levels, multiple floors. Workers can move in the aisles between the stacks and use ladders or steps to get access to the higher trays. It looks sort of like a Costco. Or a mushroom apartment building. Exactly. So how tall is each floor? Well, there's no real issue with sticking the trays practically on top of each other. Remember, it doesn't matter if there's any light reaching the bottom layers because mushrooms don't need light to grow. Mm -hmm. But there does need to be space so that the mushrooms can stay cool, get, you know, nice airflow, get watered, and eventually get picked. So the trays are about a foot or two apart vertically. So the spawn is growing in, colonizing the compost, and the air is perfect for mushrooming. Mm -hmm. After the spawn run, will we finally be seeing some mushrooms? No! Oh. Sorry. Uh, There's one more step keeping us from seeing our mushrooms, and it's called the casing layer. Ah, are we going to finally learn why this is called case the place? You you stole my thunder. (laughs) Uh, Yes, because when the spawn run is over, it's time to case the place. That was less fun after you already said it. I have no regrets. Okay, well, casing is a magical mixture of peat moss and limestone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I say magical because, sort of like spore activators, nobody seems to know why it triggers mushroom growth. But it certainly does. Mm -hmm. Besides telling the mycelia that now is the time to fruit, the casing layer also keeps the moisture in the compost during the next phase, where water is especially important. Is that phase... The growing mushrooms? Yes! Hooray! We finally made it. Um, The mycelia, having fully colonized the compost, get the signal from the casing layer and push up through the casing to form pins, the name for tiny baby proto-mushrooms. Pins are the first sign of the mushrooms visible on the surface of the trays. So a bunch of pins pop out of the casing Mm -hmm. and every pin makes a mushroom? Uh, That actually depends on the farmer and what they're going for. Ah. So there's only a certain amount of nutrients in the compost in each tray, right? Right. So whether there are 100 pins or 200 pins, they have access to the same number of resources. Yes. Conservation of mass and such. Yes. So more pins means smaller mushrooms relative to the size of the mushrooms that grow when there are fewer pins. Some farmers will remove a certain number of pins on each tray to make sure that the mushrooms that grow achieve a certain size. Is there ever a reason not to thin the pins, as it were? 
Maybe that should have been your episode title. Oh, maybe a, la- <laughs> maybe a later episode can be called Thin the Pins. As for your question, uh, some mushrooms are grown smaller or larger and then sold differently, but they're the same species. For instance, criminy mushrooms and portobello mushrooms are both actually criminy mushrooms. Oh, Portobello's criminy. Oh. Criminy? I don't know. We're going to have to figure that yeah, out. Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out later. Um, but cr- criminy criminies are just um, smaller, younger portobellos. Um, so a criminy... That feels weird. A criminy farmer wanting to sell a lot of portobellos this season might trim a lot of pins. We should look up criminy versus We might crime. have to. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So once you've decided how many mushrooms get to live in each tray and what crazy involved process do farmers have to go through before the mushrooms grow up? None! <laughs> <laughs> It's finally time to let the mushrooms do their thing. Finally. Mushrooms are harvested from 15 to 21 days after the casing layer is applied. Do they grow a little bit each a day like plants do? No. They pretty much just stay the same size for a week and a half and then explode in size in the last two days. Well, that's a little bit silly. Uh, yep. What do you mean by explode in size? Uh, they double every 24 hours. Wow. That's ridiculous. Yes. How do they manage that? Okay, so they don't actually stay the same size until that time. They are growing steadily, but okay. most of the growth happens in the last two days. Got it. And the key to a mushroom's growth is water. Mm. Water is drawn up from the compost through the mycelia into the mushroom's cap. When it reaches the gills, it evaporates out of the mushroom, and more water gets drawn up to replace it. This also happens in plants where it's called transpiration. Fun fact. If you sit uh, under a tree... Instead of a building mm-hmm. uh, in the summer, you'll be cooler, even though they both provide shade because the tree is gonna is, is like spraying water down on you, like a natural mister. Oh. Isn't that nice? Yeah. So fun tip for the summer. Uh, anyway, so when the water evaporates from the cap of the mushroom, anything that was dissolved in the water is going to stay behind in the cap, and that's how all the mushrooms in the compost finally make their way into the mushroom. The mycelia transport the nutrients all the way along their network and into the mushroom, where the nutrients slowly build up to prepare for the big expansion. And how much water does this take? Uh, a lot. Okay. I, I don't mm, know how much. That's very scientific. Yeah, I don't know how much. Uh, but the mushrooms do have to be kept a very precise amount of wet. Ah, it is a <laughs> precise amount of wet. Okay, well, legitimately, nobody knows how wet to keep the mushrooms. Um it can change per batch and sometimes per day. Watering mushrooms is the most delicate part of mushroom farming. Yeah, <laughs> workers have to feel their way along and try to neither drown nor dry out the mushrooms. Mushrooms can drown? Okay, no, that was a bad choice of words. Mushrooms don't breathe. Don't think that mushrooms breathe. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for the choking mushroom noises. <laughs> um, so, but it is it is still an issue if you overwater them. Mostly because if there's too much water on the mushroom surface, the mushrooms can bruise easily or water molds can take hold. Yeah, it just makes it easier for them to get infected. And even when workers are super careful and check or change their clothes before going into the barn, which is a thing that they actually do, mold spores are still everywhere and the threat of mushroom disease is all around us. Very dramatic. Thank you. So how long has this whole thing taken? Composting taking a couple of weeks in each phase, and then two weeks to spawn and colonize the compost. It takes about 12 weeks to get from compost to harvest, about three months. Oh, that's actually not very long, is it? No, uh, in terms of agriculture, certainly not. So in 1996, U.S. farmers averaged about five months between corn planting and harvest. It was four months for barley, five for rice and peanuts, and seven for cotton. So you could have two crops of mushrooms in the time it takes for one crop of cotton, if you weren't running the different processes at the same time. 
Yeah. And I bet farmers are composting and then rotating the compost to the next phase and yeah, growing the, the mushrooms all the time. All right? the phases of the farm are in constant use. Okay. Um, and some farmers inoculate the casing layer with mycelia to make things go even faster. Ooh. When mycelia are in the casing, they grow pins more evenly across the surface because they're already mm. there and they don't have to grow through. And once they connect with the mycelia and the compost, they can reduce the time between casing and harvest by about a week. Oh, neat. So once the mushrooms are harvested, the trays are cleaned out and a new batch of spawned compost is moved in? Actually, the really cool thing about farming mushrooms is that each harvest lasts for a while. New mushrooms can pop up once the first batch is taken. Mm -hmm. So the pins are forming while some mushrooms are size exploding and getting harvested? It's a little more staggered than that. So when there are a lot of mushrooms are already around, the mycelia can rest, thinking they did a good job, and Yay. all is well. They've fulfilled their part of the life cycle. Good job, mycelia. Yeah. So they don't send off any more mushrooms. In nature, this prevents overcrowding and makes sure that the first and oldest mushrooms have all the water and nutrients they need. Mm -hmm. uh, once they die, though, the mycelia are free to produce more mushrooms, because <laughs> if the soil is still warm and wet and nutrients are abundant, the best thing for the species is to make another fruiting body. <laughs> and another one. And another one. And another one. And another So the harvest... And another one. <laughs> So the harvest kills the old mushrooms, and the mycelia send up new pins. Exactly. Each wave of mushrooms from a batch of mycelia is called a flush, and lasts for two or four days. So if you had some oh, sort God. of king mushroom, uh -huh. or queen mushroom, yes. the har each new wave of mushrooms would be called a royal flush. Oh my god, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. I don't even I don't even know how to transition back in there. Um, <laughs> after the first flush, the tray gets watered for another seven to ten days, whereupon the second flush appears as if by magic. Poof. Poof. Or so, by royal decree. Yes. That was so awful. <laughs> so the harvest times we were talking about before are pretty much irrelevant then. It's not like every five months the corn farmer harvests a bunch of corn and then waits two weeks and then harvests the same field again. Okay, yeah. So plants do not work like this. So how many flushes do mushroom farmers get? Um, so you can get a lot of flushes, but mm -hmm. the later ones aren't very productive. So farmers usually only use the first three or four. The first two flushes are going to produce most of the tray's total mushroom yield, and then the last two flushes kind of squeeze out another good portion of the compost nutrients. Mm -hmm. But the longer a tray is out, the more chances it has to be contaminated, so it makes sense to keep each crop out for as short a time as possible. You said the first two flushes contribute most of the mushrooms. What mm -hmm. kind of yields are we talking about? Okay, the yield on these things is out of control. Is it off the hook? Is there a hook? Are you making a pun? No, I'm, oh. I'm just giving you synonyms. Okay, you should guess. Um, I've already read the script. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should say the guess that you had before you read the script. Uh, I would guess... I have no Beep. Idea. Okay, well, earlier, before you read the script, you guessed a pound of mushrooms per square foot. Okay. okay. I would guess a pound of <laughs> mushrooms per square foot. You were wrong then, and you're wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how the mushrooms are spaced and how big they've grown, workers can pick 30 to 80 pounds of mushrooms every hour of harvest. Okay, but that's not what I was... Which means oh, okay. every year, or at least based on the U.S. in 2001... Mm. Mushroom growers get 5.75 pounds of mushrooms per square foot of growing space. That is a lot of mushroom. Yeah. 
And that square foot of tray, like a square foot of compost, not like square foot of the size of the buildings that they are in. Got it. To put it in perspective, in the U.S. in 2014, corn growers averaged about a quarter of a pound of corn per square foot. Dang. And 1.75 or so pounds of rice per square foot. That is crazy. Yes. But I guess it makes sense. The mushrooms are directly converting compost into stuff. Yeah. Plants make most of their mass from the air, which I guess is their excuse for being slower. Gosh. Those slow plants. Gotta catch up to mushrooms. We're running ahead. Okay. So six pounds of mushrooms per square foot. Yeah, about. Are those all going to be harvested by hand? Yep. The stalks have to be trimmed at a certain point, and the mushrooms in each flush might not age at precisely the same rate, and mushrooms have to be handled a lot more gently than, like, corn cobs, or they'll get bruised. Yeah, they are pretty squishy. Yes, and we love them that way. Well, thanks so much for pretending to be me while I pretended to be someone else. You are very welcome. Morale dilemma, everyone. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so uh, if people are curious where I got most of this information from, much of it came from the Pennsylvania State University publication called Basic Procedures for Agaricus Mushroom Growing. And it also came from the Mushroom Council's Research and Information website. Basic Procedures for Gregarious Mushroom Growing. (laughs) Agaricus. It's Latin. Um, I think so, gregarious. I am surprised that you latched onto that and not the fact that there is a mushroom council. Well, I'm on the mushroom council. No, you're not. Yes. It is, for those of you out there, the mushroom council is a real thing. They all sit on mushrooms in a dark room. I hope so. They just chant the Latin names of mushrooms. Slowly grow fruiting bodies. Well, slowly for most of the time, except for in the last two days of growth. Right. Yeah. All right. So, thank you for listening. You're welcome. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) hope someone else listens to this as well Morel Dilemma is written and produced by me, Izzy Gall this episode's research was made possible by NSF DBI grant 1206197 in association with the New York Botanical Garden in Bronx, New York our theme song was composed and performed by John Bradley special thanks this episode to Anshul Schaefer-Cohen for doing the intermission if you'd like to have your voice on the podcast, you can call the hotline at 347-41-MORAL. That's 347-416-6735. You can find other ways to contribute and other Morel Dilemma content at moreldilemma.org. 